Kevin and Lizzie chat about life. Welcome back to another episode. Hey everyone, glad to have you back with us for another episode. Hello and welcome. What kind of tea are you drinking, Lizzie? Well, you know the answer to that. Neither one of us is drinking tea today because it's 80 degrees and we did not feel like hot tea today. So we always like to do a little recap before we start our new episode. So in last week's episode, we discussed Kevin's migraine journey. And our thought for the week was the quote from Brene Brown that helped to change Kevin's life. And she said, I now see that owning our story and loving ourselves through the process is the bravest thing that we will ever do. And this week's episode is going to be along those same lines, except instead of talking about Kevin's migraine journey, we're going to discuss what it's like to go through a journey of seeking mental health services. And the reason we're doing this is because that May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and it is May 2nd as we're recording this. That's what's happening this week. Yeah, so we wanted to play our role in helping to normalize mental health and helping to break the stigma because on this podcast, we try to normalize a lot of different things. In last week's episode, we normalized about how physical and mental health go hand in hand and play a role together. And we normalized Kevin's journey of a physical health struggle that led him through a mental health struggle. And in the past, we've talked about normalizing stress, normalizing feeling overwhelmed, normalizing that not everything has to be okay all the time. We thought we would do an episode this week about normalizing mental health since it is Mental Health Awareness Month. So let's normalize, Lizzie. All right. So to start us off, we have some statistics from NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. One in five U.S. adults experience mental illness each year. One in 20 U.S. adults experience serious mental illness each year. One in six U.S. youth aged 6 through 17 experience a mental health disorder each year. 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by age 14 and 75% by age 24. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34. And the big takeaway, if you're experiencing mental illness, you are not alone. In fact, you're among the majority. So let's get into what mental illness might look like. What are some symptoms? So symptoms look different between children and adults and adolescents as well. So I want to start with just kind of my area expertise, which is the adults and the adolescents. Excessive worry or rumination, that's a word we haven't said before, but rumination is going over an event in your head over and over and over, trying to come up with a different outcome, even though it's already happened. Excessive worry, rumination, feeling really sad or really low, you know, trouble concentrating, making decisions, things like that, mood changes, trouble with sleep, trouble with eating. Other symptoms might include avoiding activities or friends or people that you typically enjoy. It could be prolonged or strong feelings of irritability or anger or difficulty understanding or relating to other people. And of course, 
your behavior could be that of using substances such as vaping, caffeine, marijuana, heroin, etc., uh, to overcome challenges in your life, as well as, you know, thoughts of death. And I, I want to talk about that just as always, like I said, because in our last episode, we talk about suicide. It is a concern that people have and self-harm. Um, so there are some of the symptoms in adults and adolescents that they can experience. And in children, sometimes it's a little bit harder to tease out, but some of those symptoms you can see in, in kids is changes in school performance, hyperactivity, frequent nightmares, temper tantrums, or fighting to avoid going to bed or fighting to avoid going to school. Okay, so what if I'm a listener of this podcast and I identify that I may be experiencing some of those symptoms? Great question. It's important to know that the same symptoms may stem from different reasons. Right now, for instance, I have symptoms of a runny nose because I struggle with allergies. For others, they might have symptoms of a runny nose because they have a head cold. Both symptoms appear the same, however, where the symptoms come from is very different. One is a chronic condition where the other one is more transient, which is brought on by a virus. However, knowing the why you're experiencing symptoms doesn't automatically just make you feel better. I still need medicine and a steady supply of Kleenex on hand regardless. The reason I bring that up is because sometimes we might say something to the effect of, oh, I have an upset stomach, and then the other person in the room that's hearing us says, oh, well, it's something you ate. Okay, well, that doesn't change the fact that I still have an upset stomach. So knowing the why of our symptoms doesn't make us just automatically better. So the idea is I have these symptoms and I still have to deal with the what now. Correct. All right. So you love your analogies. So let's keep going with the runny nose thought. Okay. So let's keep going with that. You notice that you have a runny nose. The runny nose is keeping you up at night. It's making you late for work. Um, it's interfering with your day-to-day -day functioning, you're not getting your laundry done, and it's preventing you from spending time with your family or friends because you don't want to get them sick, and you're not kind of feeling up to being around people anyway. That runny nose is now affecting you in different areas, such as your work, your daily functioning, and your social functioning. So when we think about mental health symptoms, the same thing is true. We can be experiencing those symptoms but if the symptoms are not interfering with our functioning in those different areas, then they're just that symptoms that we learn to deal with and manage on our own. So in Kevin's runny nose analogy, if my runny nose isn't interfering with my life, then I don't really need to do much about it, but, you know, make sure I have Kleenex on hand. But in mental health, if my symptoms are preventing me from getting my schoolwork done, or they're making it hard for me to stay motivated to do things or they're causing me conflict in my relationships with my family and friends, then I need to take action. What kind of action do I take? Reach out for help. So we want to reach out to someone that we trust, right? It could be family, friends, a teacher, a mentor. It could be your primary care provider, somebody in your life that you feel comfortable talking to. Yes, somebody that you trust, somebody that's going to validate how you're feeling, not somebody that's going to just minimize what you're going through. So I don't necessarily have to jump right to a mental health counselor. No. Is that what you're saying? No, you don't have to do that. That's. I also don't want you to jump to Google. Don't Google symptoms as a way to self-diagnose. Uh, not all mental, mental health symptoms need intense counseling and psychotherapy to deal with them. Sometimes all you need is for someone just to listen to you. And health is the same way, right? People Google 
uh, a health condition and then all of a sudden it's something super serious. So for mental health, it would be the same thing. Yeah, if I, if I Google I have a headache right now, Google's going to tell me I have a brain tumor. Right. So what happens when I realize that just talking to somebody I trust isn't enough? I need something more than just asking for help from a close friend or relative. What happens when I need to reach out with someone because I'm still feeling all of those symptoms and they're still interfering with my daily life? Well, that's where you come to meet me. Your primary care provider can set you up with a counseling service. You could also go to Google and type in counseling services in your area. So in that instance, Google, it's a good reference, um, and you can find a place that you could go. So I just, it's as simple as that. I just Google and I cold call, or I could talk to my primary care provider, which we're going to refer to as a PCP from here on out, and I could have them set up a referral. Either one of those would work. Yeah, either one of those options work. If you want to talk to your PCP and they do a referral, you're good to go. Um, but if you don't have a PCP or if you don't want to talk to your doctor or you, or you need help sooner, you can Google and search for counseling services in your area. Pick up the phone and give them a call. You can also go to psychologytoday.com and click find a therapist and type in your zip code. It'll bring you to a list of counselors and providers in your area as well. Okay. So I have identified that I have these symptoms. I've realized that they're interfering with my life in many ways, and I've found a provider. So now I have gotten the courage to pick up the phone, and I'm going to reach out and ask for help. What do I expect when I make that first phone call? Well, what happens varies by agency and provider, but typically a receptionist answers the phone and says, hi, can I have your name? What type of insurance do you have? because we are in a world where insurance matters, especially in the city of Ohio where we record this podcast. And the receptionist will just get your information and then ask you what your symptoms are. And a word to the wise, the person that answers the phone is most likely going to be a receptionist, and they do not need your entire life story, or you don't need to justify why you're calling. You don't need to say, well, I, if only this had gone differently, I wouldn't need this service. Or if I could just do this, I wouldn't need the service. Just call and say, hey, I need help. We're trained to answer that phone and be like, okay, tell me about your symptoms and we'll get you scheduled. It's, not, it's as easy as that. All right, so I've made the phone call and I'm ready to go into my appointment. What should I expect when I have my first appointment with my therapist? Well, it's a good, it's a good thing you said therapist there because I want to stress that in the United States, the counseling service is deregulated, which means it's not federally regulated. So each state does their own thing. So when I talk about here, I'm going to be talking about the state I live in and work in, which is Ohio. So in Ohio, you'd come in and you'd see a counselor and you would see a counselor who would do what we call a diagnostic assessment. They would basically ask you a lot of questions about symptoms. They would ask you questions about where you work, relationship status, and kind of some background information on family, um, just like they do if you're going to a medical provider. They want to know medical history, what are you working, and what are your symptoms. Now, I want to stress here that that's a counselor that does that typically in the state of Ohio. And not everybody knows the difference, I think, between the different professions. So I want to take a moment to say a counselor is someone that does psychotherapy, diagnoses, and intakes. Is that 
equivalent to the word therapist? When we use the word counselor and the word therapist, are they the same thing? They are the same thing, yes. However, a psychiatrist is the person that deals with medicine. So it's a lot of times when people come in for an intake, they think I'm a psychiatrist. Typically, psychiatrists t take about five minutes with you and dish out medicine, which is helpful, but they're not going to give you 60 to 90 minutes of talk therapy to psychoanalyze the problems. That's what a counselor or a therapist does. A psychiatrist is just the medication management person. They have a medical background with the psychology uh, certification to kind of know those medicines. And each of those is also different from a psychologist. A psychologist is more like a counselor who then went to more schooling to be able to do testing for things like ADHD and some pretty intense personality stuff that we don't need to get into here. Okay, so you talked about my diagnostic assessment or my intake. Am I going to then be referred to a psychiatrist or do I have to ask to see a psychiatrist or how do, where does that fall in the process if you know I go in with this notion, oh, I need medicine? So after you do the diagnostic assessment with the counselor, like I said, every agency is different. Where I used to work, it was between 60 to 90 minutes. And then we'd have a frank and honest discussion about what services might be helpful. I might recommend psychiatry as an option. Currently, there's not a whole lot of psychiatrists in Northeast Ohio where we're recording. And so unfortunately, May 2021 for just reference, that's when we're recording this, it might be a couple month wait to get in to see a psychiatrist. However, with the counselor, you'll probably set up counseling services bi-weekly or weekly with an appointment the next week. So would the person who did my intake be the same person that I would then see as my counselor? Uh, it depends. If I do your in if I do your intake and I feel like we're a good fit together, yeah, I might take you on as a client. Or if you know, you're coming in and you're talking to me about maybe an eating disorder. I might refer you to my coworker because she's really good at that in that specialty area. But typically, yeah, I'd probably take you on because I just heard your whole story and I know all about you. Okay, so then we would set up, um, like you said, weekly or biweekly sessions and we would start right away, right? You would see me as soon as your schedule would allow while I'm waiting to get into the psychiatrist. Yeah, and that would vary by different agencies and things like that, for sure. So sometimes people, if we go back to the whole symptoms analogy, sometimes people are really focused on wanting a diagnosis. Like they want to know the reason behind the runny nose. Like you And you mentioned, sometimes the why is not important because we still have to treat the symptoms. But what if I come in and I want to know, well, well why am I experiencing this? Is there a piece of diagnosis that you do that would help me have some insight on that? Or how does that work? Yeah, that's a good question, Lizzie. And for purposes of the intake that we were kind of describing, the insurance companies want that diagnosis after usually that 60 to 90 minute session. So I would throw in something like, okay, so say you're experiencing feelings of worthlessness, feelings of hopelessness, excessive tearfulness, uh, lack of appetite, wanting to sleep all the time, not little interest or pleasure in doing things, I would say, okay, it sounds like there's some depression going on. If you were to say, oh, I'm having all these racing thoughts, I'm constantly feeling on edge, I'm really worried about things, then I'd say, okay, maybe there's some anxiety going on. If you were to say, you know, I kind of feel like I'm on a roller coaster, 
one week, I feel really good about myself. Like I've got this great self-esteem. I'm really getting my to-do list done. I'm banging a lot of stuff out and I'm not requiring a whole lot of sleep. Actually, I'm kind of just like feeling great. And then the next week I'm feeling just awful and miserable and I hate myself and hate my life and have no motivation to do anything. Then I might say, Hey, you know, we're thinking of something that would be a mood disorder, which would go into something like bipolar. There's lots of different disorders and diagnoses. I know that from the outside perspective, it's really important to say, all right, I want to know the why I want to know why, you know, and sometimes when we give that why, well, if it's depression, anxiety, trauma, substance use, bipolar disorder, we still have to deal with the what. So the diagnosis is important because it can shape treatment and it shapes medicine, but it's not the end all be all. Does the diagnosis help shape um, the way that you interact with the client, like the, the method of therapy that you choose? Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes people have said, hey, you know, I went to this intake with this new counselor and we didn't click and it didn't feel like a good fit. I always tell people to go back to that counselor and talk about that. Be open and honest and say, hey, I'm not feeling a connection with you. People are worried or scared that they might be hurting the counselor's feelings or things like that. But sometimes if there's not a good fit, it's probably not going to be successful. Or if it's not a good fit, it might be something specific that the counselor is doing, such as a, a certain technique or something like that. Like with borderline personality disorder, I would come in with dialectical behavior therapy. So right off at the beginning, they might think I'm a big jerk, but I'm really trying to use a specific technique that is really well researched for that uh, diagnosis. So in the end, the diagnosis is the diagnosis is more helpful to the therapist to know how to approach the therapy than really it is to me to have a label for it. Yeah, we try to get away from the label because I don't want there to be a situation where someone says, well, I can't do this because I have bipolar or they might make an excuse for their behavior. Oh, well, I get in fights because I'm bipolar and I can't do anything about that. Actually, we can do a lot about that. And that's your job to help me figure out what. Yep, absolutely. All right. So we have gone through quite the process to explain how to seek mental health services. So let's take a break. And we're back from that break. So just to recap, before the break, we talked about identifying symptoms, how to reach out for help, what to expect when I do reach out for help, and what that process of seeking mental health treatment looks like. So is there anything else that we should talk about in this general mental health podcast? Yes, actually there is. And I want to dedicate the second half of this podcast to speak from the heart. Um, Liz had given me a time warning that I've got about 10 minutes and so I'm going to save my top 10 reasons why my morning jacket is the greatest band in the world for a later podcast because I don't have that kind of time right now. Right now, I'm just going to dive into some random mental health takeaways in our little general podcast. So I want to start off first by talking about society and stigma. There's a giant stigma around mental illness and mental health. And that stigma, I think, plays such a crucial role in how people approach mental health because in mental health and 
in physical health. Just because you have symptoms doesn't mean there's something flawed or wrong or broken with you. There's actually a lot going on underneath the surface because our brains are a very complicated thing. Our bodies are very complicated things. Certain chemical transmitters in the brain, certain DNA segments in our body, certain environments we've been in, certain experiences we've had in our life, all of those things definitely shape our kind of our experience and our person. And none of that we ask for. And I really want to stress that because so often I hear people say, well, there's something wrong with me. And I want to speak from the heart when I say there's nothing wrong with you. Really, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing broken. There's nothing that, you know, is is so awful that you're never going to find love or you're never going to find happiness. There's nothing like that going on. All we're doing is just going to have an open and honest conversation about ways to improve, you know, mood regulation, maybe and other ways to maybe eliminate behave maladaptive behaviors such as like vaping or social media addiction or drugs and alcohol or overspending or maybe frequent arguments it's just a process where you're talking with someone that's trained how to, in ways to help you cope with that ways to kind of unravel and get to the heart of maybe why that's going on and then someone that's there to encourage you to keep going and it's not your fault there's dna there's chemicals there's the environment we grew up in there's the culture there's the world i mean our society right now is built on distraction i can go and not have to deal with any of my feelings or any of my any of my symptoms i could just mask all that with various electronics devices and things like that. And the reason I'm bringing up that distraction piece is because that distraction puts us further away from our introspection about ourselves. And I think that's the ultimate goal that I want to have when I'm going to counseling and I want to have when I'm being the counselor in that situation is I'm trying to increase your self-awareness about who you are, what you want out of life and how you're going to go about getting that. And if I, when I phrase it like that, does it make it seem like there's something wrong with you? Does it make it seem like, you know, it's your fault? No, I'm just there to help guide and support. There's this, such as concept of like shaming and like shaming people that struggle and shaming ourselves for struggling. So many times I hear people come to IOP and be like, well, I'm ashamed to come. And it's like, I don't want you to feel ashamed to come. You're actually doing the hard thing by coming. You're overcoming that shame by coming. You mentioned that the counselor is just there to support someone. What if I'm a loved one of someone that is seeking um, mental health treatment, how can I best support that person? A keyword, validate. Validate that what that person's telling you. So if you want to support that person and they come to you and they say, hey, I'm really struggling with these symptoms. Say those symptoms are racing thoughts. I'm really struggling with racing thoughts. What you want to do is you want to say, I hear you. That sounds like you're going through something right now. Do you want to talk about it? How can I help? 
You want to validate what they're going through. You don't want to say something like, well, don't worry about it. Or, well, it's no big deal. We touched on that in our toxic positivity um, episode as well. Yeah. Yeah, we just want to support the other person. And a lot of initial counseling sessions kind of go like that, where we just build rapport and validate to kind of get on the same playing field. All right. Anything else from your heart before we close it out? Well, I, I touch on the there's no shame in asking for help piece. Yeah, you have an analogy that you've used before when you um, liken mental health to physical health. So why don't you um, tell the audience about that? Oh, yeah, that's the one that, um, yeah, let me do that, Lizzie. Thank you for bringing that up. So if I was struggling with my pancreas uh, not metastasizing or doing whatever it does to sugar in my food, if I was struggling with that, we would call that diabetes, right? And I would go to a doctor and be like, hey, I need some medicine. I need a lifestyle change. I need a diet change because something's wrong with my pancreas and I have diabetes. And then the doctor says, okay, let's work on that. And then friends and family say, okay, let's help you with that. Well, if I go and I say, hey, my brain's not working right because I'm having crazy thoughts and I feel on edge all the time and I can't get anything done and I'm, I'm missing work and I just feel like a failure all the time. It's the same thing. We just go to the doctor, in this case, a counselor. I'm not a doctor, but a counselor. And we work on lifestyle, maybe some medicine, maybe some diet, maybe some other things as well. It's really the same thing in my mind. Taking care of your mental health is the same as taking care of your physical health. However, like I said, there's this shame stigma that's associated with it. So we're doing this podcast to kind of fight that stigma. Right. So let's break that stigma and let you know that it is okay to ask for help. And in fact, asking for help is one of the bravest things that you can do. So that's going to be our thought for the week. And we would just like to remind you that May is Mental Health Awareness Month and we are here to normalize mental health and to help you seek treatment if and when you need it. Thank you. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks for being here.